0: Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 812. And that's the first time in a very long time I have not said page 811. As we spent quite a few weeks, quite a few months looking at that portion of, of God's Word, but it was good for us to do so. Uh, We continue to consider the words and teaching of Jesus Christ uh, from the Sermon on the Mount as we turn now to Matthew chapter 7. In the last portion of chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus had primarily been teaching us about one's personal life and about the temptations that each of us face in our personal lives. Now as we move to chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus makes a kind of a transition in his teaching and he now turns his attention towards our interpersonal relations and to the temptations that, that we face in our interactions with others. Let's hear now and let's seek to submit to Christ's authoritative teaching, his instruction to us. Our passage today will be Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Now let's turn our attention to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Jesus continues to teach his disciples. He continues to teach us in verse 1 of chapter 7, saying, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck Out of your brother's eye. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for that enduring, trustworthy word. We thank you, God, for these timeless teachings of Jesus. Jesus, you were able to put your finger on that which was wrong with the hearers at the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. And just as appropriately, Holy Spirit, you apply the same confrontation to us here today. Because they needed to hear it then, and we need to hear it today. For we too can be tempted by these same things. Lord God, I pray that you would protect me, that you would protect all who hear my words from any error that might be present, and anything that I might that I might say. Holy Spirit, stop up my mouth to keep that from happening. And if anything does pass through my lips, which is not what you would want your people to hear, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, um, do not let these people remember any of those errors that I may utter, Lord. That's my prayer this day. That's my prayer anytime time that I. That's my prayer that any time any teacher, any preacher might speak to your people. Show your love to us by protecting us from error, and lead us into all righteousness. I pray. Amen. As I mentioned in that prayer, I've I've got a bit of of a concern with how I present the truths of God's Word to you today. Because actually there's a diversity of understanding about some of these verses that, that God puts before us today. And some teachers speak very authoritatively saying this thing. Others will say a significantly different thing, to have a different take on it. And so I I come, as I try to do each week, but especially this week, I come with a little bit of trepidation in my heart as as we seek to look into God's Word. And so that's just yet another reason why I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, keep your Bibles open today. Keep your Bibles open today and check what I say. Do that today, do that every day. If there's anything that doesn't quite seem right, ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. And, and please feel free to have conversation with me about this further. You know, on, on one hand in this passage, Christ gives this very clear command, this, this clear prohibition. He says, do not judge. And, and I very much want to, and I, and I will, I'll affirm that. I want to say, as Christ says, do not judge. So you, friend, don't do that. Don't judge. Seems very obvious. It seems, seems very clear-cut, doesn't it? And that is the burden of this passage. That's the, the main point of this passage. Make no mistake about that. Jesus is saying very clearly, giving us, giving us a command, do not judge. But it may not really necessarily and only be that simple. When we hear those words, we may think Jesus is saying one thing, but he may mean something a little bit differently. And, and you know, society loves this verse. I heard one pastor this week, one preacher this week saying, at one time, John 3.16, the, the world was most familiar with that verse. But it seems like so much of our society today, this is one of their favorite verses. Oh, no, no, Christian, who are you to judge? Is Jesus really meaning that the Christian is to never judge? You know, sometimes Jesus tells us, Jesus himself, he tells us that the Christian is to make judgment. Look at verse 15 there of chapter 7. There he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. And in John seven twenty four, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Consider also 1 John 4.1, where, where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So which is it, Jesus? Are we to judge, or are we not to judge? Yes. What, what Jesus is doing here, I think, in our passage, I'm, I'm fairly sure of this, I'm fairly confident of this, is that Jesus is telling us that we are not to judge in a certain way. Look at verse 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What I think is the point that Jesus is most wanting to make in this passage is don't judge like hypocrites judge. And and specifically, what Jesus may be meaning is don't judge like the Pharisees judge. Now, now on what basis am I saying that? On on what basis am I connecting this portion of Matthew 7 to a a condemnation or a rebuke of Jesus against the hypocrites, uh, against the Pharisees? Well, the basis of that is his use of this word hypocrite. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records Jesus using this word hypocrite on 14 occasions. And the vast majority of those uses are specifically in a rebuke of the Pharisees. He makes very clear, very forceful rebukes of the Pharisees very clearly in the majority of those occasions where Matthew records Jesus using this word hypocrite. And most of the other occurrences, it's reasonable for us to also understand That Jesus has in mind the Pharisees when he he gives his his warning, when he calls them hypocrites. At a minimum, when when Jesus makes use of this word hypocrite, he's talking about those who have a sense of religious superiority over others. And and it's not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount that that Jesus warns against having a self-righteous false sense of religious superiority towards others in of having that type of attitude or engaging in that type of behavior. In chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus said, don't give to the poor in which the hypocrites do, who love to be seen and praised for their good deeds. In verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus said, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to be seen by others praying. In Matthew 6, 16, he says, And when you fast, don't fast as the hypocrites fast, because they love to be seen by others fasting. They love to be seen and thought of by others as being super religious. Don't be like them. Jesus very clearly has said up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't, don't be like those who think so highly of themselves and, and who want to be thought of so very highly also by others. And so following that logic, I think that it's reasonable. I don't think I'm leading, to, leading you into error when I suggest this. I'm fairly sure that when Jesus says in our passage this morning, do not judge, he means do not judge in the way in which the hypocrites judge. Do not judge in the way in which the Pharisees judge. And how was it that the Pharisees judged? Well, we got an idea of that in that passage that we used this morning from Luke 18 for our call to confession and repentance. Flip back, grab your bulletin again if you would. And and turn to that portion of the service. Look there at that call to confession. How was it, according to Jesus, how was it that the Pharisees often judged? Look at how Luke speaks of the Pharisees. Look at Jesus' rebuke of them. Luke says, Jesus told this parable to who? To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And how did they judge others? Look at it. They treated others with contempt. Do you see how they judge? Do you see how they judge with that sense of religious superiority over others? The Pharisees judge looking down at others. They judge looking upon others with contempt. And I would suggest to you that that's what Jesus is encouraging us to avoid when he tells us in our passage today, do not judge. He's telling us to not judge with a sense of superiority over that person whom you may be tempted to judge. He's telling us not to judge with contempt in our hearts towards those others. Again from Luke 18, Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this guy over here, this tax collector. For I fast twice a week, I I give of all the tithes that I get. Do you see this man's confidence in himself rather than a confidence in the Lord? Do you see how, how this man isn't aware of his sin, of his failing, of his ongoing need for God's grace and mercy to be given to him? But in contrast to that type of attitude, Jesus says this of the tax collector, that he was standing far off and he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And how does God assess these two men's heart attitudes and the judgments that they make about themselves? Jesus says, I tell you, this man, meaning the second man, the tax collector, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If we are ever tempted to judge another, Christ encourages us to first make sure we judge ourselves rightly. He calls upon us to to humble ourselves and to not exalt ourselves in our own minds before the Lord or before others. And you see, that's what the Pharisees failed to do. That's what the hypocrites failed to do. That was true 2,000 years ago, and you and I need to be careful because that same temptation, that same tendency calls out to us as well to do that same thing. The the, the Pharisees and the hypocrite, both the hypocrite of 2,000 years ago as well as the hypocrite that can live in our hearts today, the hypocrite can fail to judge rightly. We can fail to judge ourselves rightly and we can fail to judge others rightly. And we, like the Pharisees, can fail to judge with mercy and with grace and with compassion, especially in our judgment of others. With the judgment you pronounce, Jesus says in verse 2, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We need to be very slow in our judging of others because when we do that, When we judge others, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. And only God is the perfect, all-knowing judge. You and I don't have full knowledge. We, we don't like it when others judge us without knowing all the details of a particular situation. And we should be slow to judge others also in recognition that we probably also don't have all of the facts either. God is omniscient. We are not. We can't know what's in a person's heart 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We should be very slow and careful to judge, because only the Lord is the good, righteous, and all-knowing judge. We are not. We should also be very slow and careful to judge, because with the judgment with which we pronounce, we too will be judged, Jesus says. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that sounds very conditional, doesn't it? Is, is Jesus saying that if we judge harshly, that will cause God to judge us partially. And, and if we judge gently with another, God will judge gently with us. What's up with that? Well, what, what Jesus is saying is that when you and I, when the Christian recognizes our guilt, our wrongdoing, our law-breaking, when we get a true understanding of our guilt as we stand laid bare before the Lord, well then the right response of the Christian is to say, along with that tax collector of Luke 18, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As Christians, as men and women, boys and girls who have been redeemed by the covenantal kindness of the Lord, we must always remember that we have been made to be recipients of God's amazing, forgiving, saving grace and mercy. And our willingness to recognize that we are every bit as dreadful as the vilest of sinners is an evidence that we have tasted God's grace. And and for us to not be inclined to show grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience with others would show us to be like that unforgiving servant who was forgiven that great debt which he could never repay by his master, but then he goes on to treat another person harshly who owed him a much smaller debt. As men and women, boys and girls who have received grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and understanding from God, God calls upon us to show grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and understanding towards others. And in any judgments that we may make about them. Verses 3 and 4, Jesus confronts us in his challenge to us that we should be slow and careful to judge others as he he asks, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? It's so easy to see the sin and the folly of another person, isn't it? But oh, how very hard it can be for us to see our sin, our folly, our misdeeds. And friends, that's very sad, and that's very immature of us to be that way. We, we see our sins as being so very slight. And and we can be so tempted to to see the sins of, of other people as being these awful transgressions against the Lord. And it's true. Those sins, those sins of those people, they are awful transgressions against the Lord. But guess what? So are yours. So are mine. You, you know how we do this, right? You, 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 know how, you, you know how we can come up with these lists of sins. You, you, you know how each one of us, I suspect, has come up with this list of sins in our lives. And we divide them into big sins and little sins. And, and do you know what we tend to use as a delineation between what is What is justified is being considered a big sin or a small sin. We tend to consider big sins those things that we're not tempted with too much. And those things that we are tempted with and that we often give ourselves over to, we tend to give ourselves a pass. Well, yeah, but everybody kind of does that. I know I shouldn't say that, but, you know, we all kind of do. We, I, I know we shouldn't be that way, but come on. You know, it's the human condition. And because of that temptation that we have, because of that temptation to consider the sin that tempts another person in one way and the sins that we give into in a lesser way, we may have great disdain for the homosexual, but we may be very tolerant of, of those feelings of lust or inappropriate sexual thoughts that, that may cross our mind. Or, or we may have a right sense of horror about abortion, but we may be very comfortable of the way in which we gossip or slander another or the way that, that we may harbor unforgiveness or animosity or even hatred. Of another person in our hearts. You hypocrite. Jesus says. First take the log. Out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly. So that you can take the speck. Out of your brother's eye. Before we judge others. We must first. Rightly judge ourselves. Jesus says. And the standard of righteousness that we insist others must uphold, we must first judge ourselves by as well. Before we seek to police someone else's life, we must first seek to police our lives. And so, husbands, before you criticize what your wife is doing or isn't doing, First, critique how well you're upholding your marriage vows that you made to your wife. And by the way, ladies, the same for you towards your husband. And and parents, before you criticize your, your child's folly or sloth or irresponsibility or sassy mouth, first consider your own. It's that question that I ask of you so often Whose sin is it that you hate the most? Whose sin do you see as being so large? Yours or that other person? Whose sin are you most grieved over in your marriage? Yours or your spouse? Whose sin are you most appalled by in your home? Yours Or your child's. Or that sin of your co-worker or boss or or parent. Jesus encourages us here. He commands us here. Before we cop attitude and start judging that other person, we must first judge ourselves. Again, we must first police our own lives. And we must first seek to remove any and all sin from our lives before we worry about that other person's life. For it's only after we've rightly looked upon our own lives and our own sin that we can rightly look upon the life of another to help them in their quest for right living in their lives. And notice that's really the goal that we should be after in our interaction with this other person. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says, our brother has a problem. Our our brother has an irritant in his life. He's he's got a speck in his eye. He's, He's got something in his eye. And think about it. What is it that we are all hardwired to do whenever someone has something in their eye. Whenever we see someone have something in their eye, what do we tend to do just automatically? We tend to go up to that person, don't we? To help them get that speck out. And and as I was thinking about this, Noah, even in baseball, You've seen this before probably haven't you? How maybe a baseball player, a batter is standing in the batter's box and a and a gust of wind may come and blow dust in his eye and he's trying to get it out and he can't quite get it out. What might that catcher do? The man from the opposing team, they may pause the game, he may take his mask out and mask off and he may try to help that opposing player get that speck out of his eye or if we see a child fall or 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 an older person fall what are we hardwired to want to do to go to that person and to help them friends that desire that is in us to help the other person I think that that is one aspect of humanity that hasn't been completely corrupted by the fall. That goodness that God has placed in the human heart is still there. And so it's good to have that desire to help another. Likewise, it's it's good and it's right for us to want to help our brother to get that speck out of his eye. But, But do you see that the motivation behind our action in doing that is so that they would be relieved of their misery, so that they would be relieved of that difficulty. When, when we see a brother in some kind of distress by having this thing in their life, this speck in their eye, we should moved by a sense of compassion. We should want to, we should seek to come to their aid to help them to get that irritant to be removed from their life so that they might flourish. That should be our motivation in our making assessment of other people's lives. That should be the motivation behind any judgment that we make of another person's life. To be able to identify a problem in their life and to seek to relieve that misery from them. We're we're not to judge. Do not judge like the hypocrite or like the Pharisee who judges without mercy or compassion, with a sense of self-righteousness or condemnation. Don't judge like that, Jesus says. But instead, you know what we should do? We should do what they tell us to do when we're on an airplane. And you're getting you ready to take off on that flight, and what do they tell you? In the unlikely event of a cabin depressurization, oxygen mask will fall from above you. And If you're traveling with a child, what do you do first? They'll tell you, parents, first put that mask upon yourself, then put the mask upon your child. Likewise, Jesus tells us in our passage today that if we judge that our brother has a speck in his eye, if we want to help him, we must first put that oxygen mask upon ourselves. We must First, seek to judge our lives rightly and see the log that might be present there in our life. And it's only then and after that's been removed from us that we then are in a position to be able to provide aid and comfort to that other person. It's only in that way that we can hope to be a blessing, to be an aid to our brother, the way in which God desires for us to. It's what we're told in Galatians 6, 1 through 3. When Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We need to have a profound sense of humility at all times, and especially whenever we might be tempted to judge another person. For we all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Paul's instruction and reminder to Titus in Titus 3, 1 through 6 Paul, giving instruction to Titus, he says, Remind them, remind the people of your churches, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish also whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so a question for us today is this. Are we aware of whether or not we might have a log in our eye? We each can can have a log of sin in our eyes, or sadly, a whole forest of sin in our eyes. And that causes a kind of spiritual blindness. Sometimes that can be a, a temporary blindness, a temporary kind of gospel insanity, and we need to have our gospel sanity restored to us. Or maybe a person can have such a log in their eye that they have never seen their actual sinfulness. They may say, oh sure, I know I need a little bit of Jesus sprinkled onto my life. But they don't recognize their need for a substitute. They don't recognize their need. We can be tempted to not recognize our need for a righteousness greater than the righteousness that we possess. This is important for us all to hear because, friends, you know it is possible... For a person to have sat in church for 10 years or 20 years or 40 years or 50 years and have heard God's word faithfully preached, but still be dead to it, still be blind to it. Be slow, be careful in your judgment of others. And if you want to judge someone, first judge yourself. That's what a hypocrite will not do. A hypocrite is not willing to first judge themselves. But friends, that's what Scripture calls us to do. One such place where where we're called to judge and assess our own spiritual condition is in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul encourages us to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Trust yourselves, he says. And I want to encourage us all to do that right now. I want to give us all some time for for thoughtful reflection, a time of self-reflection, and a time where we ask the Lord to first, first see, to first make it clear to us. Lord, am I in the faith? And then consider where we might have any blind spots, any logs of sin in our lives. And also let's ask the Lord to to show us if, if maybe we have been sinning against him and against someone else in the way in which we may have judged another person. Let's do that right now. Let's take time, each of us, to ask the Lord those types of questions. Friends, humble yourselves as I will do now before the Lord. And let's ask him to reveal any spiritual blindness that may be present in our, in our lives. Any area of sin that we may, may have not seen clearly. Let's ask him to do that now. Let's do that now, each individually first. Holy Spirit, help us to rightly examine our lives. Do we have evidence of faithfulness? Do we have evidence of being made recipients of your grace and mercy? Lord, what can we point to in our life as a a mark of humility and how we might um, recognize our sinfulness? Lord, how much does our heart truly break over the sins in which we commit against you? holy spirit reveal reveal to us all whether or not you have come into our hearts in a saving life changing way do we truly understand the depths of our unrighteousness and our inability to stand before you god Your word says you are a consuming fire and that you will consume sin. Lord, have we called out to you for the only deliverance that there is, the only remedy for sin and for sinners? If not, help us to do that this very moment. Lord, maybe we are in the faith, but maybe we are not living lives of faithfulness. Um, Lord, I suspect each one of us, I know it is true for me, each one of us has secret areas of our lives, secret areas of sin that we tolerate. Of course, it may only be ourselves that we, that we fool into believing that they are secret, very likely they are very obvious to others. Do not give us rest, Lord, from any type of sin, any degree of sin that we tolerate in our lives. What are areas that we do that, Lord, in our personal life, our relations our relations with others our relation with you where do we tolerate sin where are we blind to its odiousness and Lord where in our lives do we consider ourselves more highly than we ought? Where do we look down upon others? In what ways and towards which people might we have a sense of self-righteousness or condemnation? To whom do we most likely Judge without mercy, without compassion, without patience, without understanding. Stop us, Lord, the next time we may fall into that pattern of treating that person in such a way. Deliver us from evil, Lord, we pray, and lead us into righteousness. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the friend to sinners. In his name we pray. Amen.